Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo with Colleen Daniel. She's broadcasting from home along with the entire About Mansfield news team. We appreciate you being here today. This is episode 29 and coming up on this episode, Mansfield news and weather for the upcoming week. And as always, we will conclude this episode with the trivia question of the week for a $25 gift card to 360 Brunch House. Let's take a look at this week's headlines. The COVID-19 epidemic is still getting worse in Mansfield. Councilman Casey Lewis recaps Monday's council meeting. The coronavirus has forced a lot of people to work from home, but are they doing it properly? City releases summer road report. Look to the skies, Mansfield. It's a comet. Alexa is here with the seven-day weather forecast and about Mansfield's Stacy Maine interviews Alliance for Children Director of Community Engagement Katia Gonzalez. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Hi, this is John with Pool Aid, your local pool care specialist. With the exceptional amount of rain that we've experienced so far this year, spring is a vital time to clean pool filters, skim leaves and debris, and keep skimmers clean to ensure proper circulation as well as keep your pool sweep in good working condition. If you have any questions or concerns or need a certified professional to help keep your pool safe and clean, visit us on the internet at poolaid.net. That's poolaid.net. We're here for you. In 1999, Mansfield Cares was founded to be the safety net for those in need in our great city. Mansfield Cares built the first free medical dental eye clinic and the warehouse that is home to the only food bank in Mansfield. Our city's seven food pantries, Feed the Kids program, Back to School Bash, and college scholarships have all benefited from Mansfield Cares. Become a part of Mansfield's safety net. Donate today at mansfieldcares.org. That's mansfieldcares.org. Hi, I'm Adam Larson, Operations Manager at the Mansfield Star Center, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. The COVID-19 epidemic continues to get worse in Mansfield. Filing from home, About Mansfield's roving science reporter, Dennis Webb, has the story. Thanks, Steve. This week, the virus has continued its spread in Mansfield. Our small number of active cases is steadily increasing, and until we have fewer new cases each week, the spread of the virus here continues. On Monday, July 13, 2020, Tarrant County reported 432 Mansfieldians as having tested positive since the start. 192 are estimated to have recovered, and 11 citizens have died since the start. Of the 432 cases, we have had 105 new cases in the past week in Mansfield. This is more than the 85 new cases a week before itself up from the previous week's 44. We had two new deaths this past week in addition to the two new deaths from the week before. If you subtract 192 recovered and 11 deceased Mansfieldians from the 432 known infected ones, you can estimate that there are 229 fellow citizens who could pass the disease to another person. This is 54 more than a week ago. Other county indicators suggest that there are more than just these 229 citizens who are also carrying the virus in Mansfield. In a city of 70,000 citizens, these are small numbers, but if the increasing trend continues, we could eventually see the exponential growth that's showing up elsewhere in the state of Texas. As citizens, we can take steps to put the brakes on the virus. In the words of Tarrant County Judge Whitley, Governor Abbott, and Vice President Pence, when you are out and about, keep your distance from other people, wear a mask, wash your hands a lot, and if you are old or sick, stay at home as much as you can. The sooner we all take these steps, the sooner we can turn our numbers around and prevent a resumption of the terrible shutdown. 
Reporting from the science desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. A long, busy night on Monday for City Council. With a recap, here's Councilman Casey Lewis. The Mansfield City Council held a regularly scheduled council meeting on Monday, starting with a work session around 2 o'clock. We interviewed three health insurance brokers to discuss the services they can provide to city staff and our HR department, as well as their unique qualifications to represent the city of Mansfield in the design and negotiation of health insurance benefits. All three brokers stated they saw significant opportunities for cost savings without making substantial changes to the benefits plan provided to city employees. City Council unanimously agreed to hire USI as our new insurance broker, and they will now begin to discuss and work with staff to design any benefits plans for our city employees to recruit talented employees and retain long-term employees. We also received a presentation from our Historic Downtown Development Strategies Committee. This is a study that puts together actionable steps for the city council and staff to take over the next 10 years to encourage private investment into historic downtown development. The final step of this plan is identifying the low or no cost and high return action items for the city council to take in the immediate future to further the redevelopment of downtown into a live, work, play environment. The primary item for council action on the agenda was to approve the site plan for a project called Watson Branch, which is located on FM 157, just north of Mauser Way. This site plan was for approximately 250 single-family homes of various types and sizes, as well as a 10-acre city park. The developer will also pay for and install a signalized intersection that was on the city's infrastructure list for the future. They're donating more land to the city than they are required to and spending more money on park infrastructure than they're required to. This will be a great addition to the west side of town, and the site plan and development agreement were approved 7-0. We adjourned around 9-30. We have several more work sessions and meetings in July for preparation of the fiscal year 2021 budget. For About Mansfield, I'm Casey Lewis. The coronavirus has forced many companies to have their employees work from home, some in less-than-ideal situations. Consumer Reports suggests that you take a look around your office space and recognize trouble spots that can cause unnecessary fatigue. Your office chair, for example, should be at a height where your feet touch the ground when your back is against the backrest while you're sitting up straight. The top of your computer screen should be just below eye level. Looking down at the screen means your eyes don't have to be open as wide, reducing the risk for dry eye. Working from your bed is the number one culprit for back pain. Try placing a horizontal pillow under your lower back and another one under your thighs for support. Consumer Reports has a long list of work-from-home tips. To see the full story, log on to our website, aboutmansfield.com, and click on the Links tab. The City of Mansfield has released its quarterly road report this week. About Mansfield's Robbie Terry has the story. The city's road report is published every quarter to keep residents up to date on road construction and closures. For example, the South Main Street project from Broad to Hunt Street is now complete. Crews are working in the northern part of the city, extending a part of Turner Warnell Road, which will become a direct thoroughfare from Highway 287 to 157 Cooper Street. Elsewhere, just over half-mile of Magnolia Street, near Rose Park, is in the progress of getting a facelift, with the addition of a sidewalk on the east side, storm drain improvements, and water and sanitary sewer line replacements. The paving is complete. Work on storm drain improvements and sidewalk is in progress. The street will be open to traffic in late July. This project is expected to be complete in August. 
There are several new road projects that are still in the design phase, including the expansion of nearly three-quarters of a mile of Daymire Road, from two to four lanes, and the addition of sidewalks near Lake Ridge High School. A study was completed to analyze the pedestrian needs and safety around the MISD school sites to determine any additional project safety enhancements. To view the entire road report, log on to our website, aboutmansfield.com, and click on the Links tab. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Robbie Terry. When's the last time you saw a comet? Your next opportunity may be sooner than you think. About Mansfield's roving science reporter, Dennis Webb, filed from home. Thanks, Steve. The next few weeks, we may get to see a rare bright comet in our Mansfield skies. The comet's name is Neowise and you may be able to see it in the northwest sky after sunset. As our local sky in this direction is bright from the local suburban sprawl and the big city lights of Fort Worth, it won't be as bright as the pictures you see online, but you may be able to see the comet and its tail for yourself in Mansfield. Find a place where your view of the northwest is not covered up with trees, buildings, or bright lights. Take any binoculars you have and scan the horizon, sweeping back and forth, and scan up to 20 degrees above the horizon. If you can find it in binoculars, see if you can see it without them. Clouds in that direction on any evening may prevent you from seeing it. If you're excited about this idea and can travel on a clear evening, drive an hour or two to the west to escape the Fort Worth sky glow and see the comet more clearly. What are we looking at? As our solar system of planets formed, there was a lot of dust and gas left over, and, and some of this junk condensed to form asteroids and comets. They all orbit the sun in different orbits, and a few of them cross planet Earth's orbit and fly near the sun. Among these objects, a few have a lot of ice along with the dust and rocks, and when one of them gets close to the sun, the solar wind melts off the top layer of ice and blasts some stuff off away from the sun. This is what produces the comet's tail we get to see. Comets move very fast when they're close to the sun, so it moves across the sky every day. Also, when comets are close to the sun, they sometimes come apart, making their appearance hard to predict. Take a chance tonight that this is one of the brighter ones that survived and blossomed. The comet's official name is Neowise, C as in Charlie, slash 2020, F3. Neowise being the discoverer. Comets are named after their discoverers, like Halley's Comet was named after early astronomer Edmund Halley in the 1700s. Neowise is the name of the NASA observatory orbiting in space, rather than a person. During the observatory's first mission in 2009, it was called the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, a mouthful, or simply WISE, intended to survey the whole sky, taking pictures in four infrared bands. Its cameras depended on being kept very cold, and after the camera's frozen hydrogen melted, frozen hydrogen melting is a real thing, it could still take some pictures and, look for, and, and it was used to look for comets and asteroids. It was shut down in 2011, having completed its mission, but was reactivated two years later as scientists figured out new research to do with it, earning it the name NEOWISE. And that's what made the discovery of this comet possible. I know a little about this spacecraft, as I use some of its early infrared-wise photos of galaxies in my astronomy book series, Annals of the Deep Sky. Different infrared bands allow you to highlight different things that are in galaxies, for instance, separating hot dust from old stars. Add pictures from an ultraviolet satellite that highlights the young stars and pictures from X-ray satellites to show what is going around a black hole at the center of many galaxies, and you got a total picture. The data from WISE was gorgeous, and it keeps on ticking. Reporting from the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. 
Thank you, Dennis. Sunday is National Ice Cream Day, and because we all scream for ice cream, let's see if it's going to be hot enough to visit Elado's Ice Cream this week. Alexa? Here's the weather in Mansfield for the next seven days. Wednesday, 100 degrees Fahrenheit and lots of sun. Thursday, 99 degrees and lots of sun. Friday, 98 degrees and mostly sunny weather. Saturday, 97 degrees and lots of sun. Sunday, 97 degrees and lots of sun. Monday, 97 degrees and mostly sunny weather. Tuesday, 96 degrees and mostly sunny weather. It's going to be a perfect week to visit Alato's Ice Cream. The Tarrant Regional Water District recommends that you irrigate your lawn with three quarters of an inch of water this week. Without rainfall, Texas lawns in the middle of July need supplemental water to keep growing. Temperatures will be pushing triple digits all week with virtually no chances for rain. For more watering and irrigation tips, log on to waterisawesome.com. That's a look at news and weather. If you have a news tip that you would like us to follow up on, please send us an email to news at aboutmansfield.com. Again, that is news at aboutmansfield.com. Just a reminder to follow this podcast so you will be automatically notified when a new episode is released. The easiest way is to log on to our website at aboutmansfield.com and enter your email address under the Follow Podcast by Email heading on the homepage. And if you own an Amazon device, listening is as easy as saying, Alexa, play the About Mansfield podcast. You can also ask Siri to play the About Mansfield podcast on Apple devices. Coming up after the break, Stacey Main interviews Alliance for Children Director of Community Engagement, Katia Gonzalez. Stay with us. I'm Steve Casillo with Colleen Daniel and the entire news team. And this is About Mansfield. It has literally carved the landscape of the planet itself. Yet beyond its beauty and its grace, it is essential to life itself. Water, it's awesome. Enjoy it. Just don't waste it. Visit waterisawesome.com. Hey, it's Steve Casillo, and I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record our weekly podcast. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and can even help market your podcast. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need the help from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield can help. Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. They're on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. That's podcastmansfield.com. Hi, I'm Carmen McMillan, Executive Director of Mansfield Mission Center, inviting you to make our thrift store your one stop for shopping, donating, and volunteering. When neighbors buy your donations, the proceeds help other Mansfield neighbors in need with free services including financial assistance, employment help, food, medical, dental, and vision care. Voted Best Thrift Store in 2019 by Living Magazine, the Mansfield Mission Center Thrift Store is located at Broad and Walnut Creek. For more details, visit our website at mansfieldmission.org. That's mansfieldmission.org. Welcome back to the talk segment of About Mansfield. Today, I yield the microphone to Stacy Maine, who has important information on keeping our kids safe. Stacy, Tarrant County has seen a decline of reported abuse cases, but an increase in the severity of violence in abuse cases, likely due to the stress of job loss, isolation, increased food need, and having kids home full-time due to the COVID-19 virus. 
With schools closing in the spring and many parents choosing virtual or homeschooling for their children this coming school year, many students are losing what may be the only trusted adult they have, their teacher. So how can we be sure students and little loved ones are safe from abuse during this pandemic? Joining me today is Katia Gonzalez, Director of Community Engagement with Alliance for Children. Katia held a webinar, How to Keep Children Safe During COVID-19, back in the spring, and she's here to offer some advice. Hi, Katia. Hi, it's so good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. Now, I am a volunteer for Alliance for Children, so we already are familiar with with each other. <laughs> yes, we sure are. <laughs> so I know, and I'm always telling people about uh, what Alliance for Children does, but um, can you tell the public what you guys do? Absolutely. Alliance for Children, we are a children's advocacy center here in Tarrant County, and our job is to serve child abuse victims in our community. So we do that in a great variety of ways. We really have a multidisciplinary approach in serving child abuse victims. We're actually the only nonprofit organization that's directly involved in the investigations of, of, of child abuse. And our purpose with that is to make that um, an easier process for families who are having to go through um, an investigations of, of something traumatic happening in their home um, and just really make it an easier process for families to have to go through their process. Um, and make it easier for investigators to work together rather than working in silos in that regard. And then beyond that, after something really terrible has happened to a child and family, our goal is to make sure that they have every possible service they need to promote healing um, and restoring hope um, for that family and for that child as well. And I'm always boasting about the great work that you guys do there. Um, one of the things you guys do is um, educate the community. And um, I, I want to start with um, the idea that we're hearing that there's a decrease in abuse cases, but that doesn't mean that abuse isn't happening. What does that mean? Well, typically, our number one reporters of child abuse are teachers or child care professionals. So as soon as shelter in place um, took effect, we automatically, people in the child abuse uh, prevention field were worried for the safety of children because now um, there wouldn't be protective caregivers with um, teachers or daycare professionals that would be the eyes and ears for children that would be making those reports to Child Protective Services um, if they noticed any kind of signs or symptoms that children would be abused. So that certainly doesn't mean that we don't think that abuse has stopped and abuse is not occurring. We just know that the people that are typically the protectors and the gatekeepers of safety for kids um, don't have access to those children at this during shelter in place. We also know that most abuse doesn't happen with strangers. It actually happens with um, with people that um, children know and trust, uh, which is typically people that live in the home with the child. So, when a te- when a child is in the classroom, what are and the teacher is the one, number one reporter. What is it that they're seeing in the classroom that um, that they suspect? I mean, I, are they trained? What what kind of things do they see that makes them report abuse? 
Sure. Well, I think there's certainly maybe some outward signs, like maybe some marks or bruises that uh, a professional might recognize. But really what we typically see is these professionals that see children every day really have a great rapport and relationships with the children that they serve. And because of that, children feel more comfortable telling them if something is happening. So it's really a combination of just noticing maybe some behavioral changes in a child, maybe noticing some changes in the way and that child's appearance or some concerning marks or bruises, um, and then really going beyond that and having that relationship makes it a more comfortable conversation to ask those questions of, hey, I noticed that your behavior or your hygiene or whatever that might be has changed, and I really care about you, and I want you to know that you're, I'm here to talk to you. So that really helps children know that they have a trusted adult and are, they're more able to open up to that person. Um, to let them know that they're unsafe. And and many for many kids, it's not just a teacher that's a trusted adult, but it might be a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a family friend. Oh, and absolutely. we're all having to stay away from each other. So um, what can these teachers, grandparents, um, what can the loved ones do to help the child if to see if they're in an unsafe situation? Certainly. Well, I think that any time during this time in particular, if we have the ability to check in on children in any capacity, that's really important. Number one, it's important for the, maybe maybe there are some great protective caregivers that are um, at home with their kids day in and day out. Um, so even if they are in a safe environment or we think they're in a safe environment, it's still really important to provide that support to caregivers that are having full-time um, care for their children right now. And then beyond that, Um, If we feel like a child might be unsafe, those check-ins with kids in any capacity can be important. Um, And that could be in really small ways. So if there's a way that we can do a Zoom call, which I know most of us are probably pretty tired of Zoom calls right now, uh, but if we can just establish maybe weekly calls with kids. I know there's a lot of child-friendly apps, like I know there's a Facebook for kids where we could do messaging. Um, I think there's ways that we can make Zoom safe for children. Um, So there's a lot of even fun apps that are kid-friendly, where we can have video kind of conferences with kids um, just to be that extra lifeline for children um, and to observe if we see any any kind of signs or symptoms that maybe their home environment isn't that safe. Uh, So really being that lifeline for a child and then being intentional and asking those questions in a non-leading way. So just as simple as like, hey, I just want to make sure you're doing okay. Tell me about some of the favorite things that you did this week or is there anything that uh, you're sad about or it's really making sure that we're being intentional to building rapport with children and letting them know that you're a trusted adult in their lives. So, and then giving opportunities for them to talk to us if they need to. And a lot of times parents should be, um, you know, listening into these Zoom calls and these FaceTime calls to make sure that they're having appropriate conversations with their teachers and 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 the Certainly. like. But at the same time, abusers might be doing that to intimidate a child. What are some questions that we can ask without coming right out and asking, "Are you being abused?" Well, I think the most important thing is for that child to know that they have trusted adults in their lives outside of their home environment. So I think the more important thing for us is rather than asking those direct questions as, hey, is anybody abusing you, is really being that, again, that lifeline and just being that support for a child to where if they do have an opportunity, if we can create an opportunity, then that child knows, hey, Stacey, this is a trusted person and I can talk to her because I know she cares about me and I know she'll protect me. Um, But I think just 
being very broad and open and just being creative in the way we ask questions of like, hey, um, how are your parents doing? Is there, um, are you sad about anything? Um, what are some ways that you're dealing, like I know, what are some favorite things that, um, that came out of being at shelter and home and what are your least favorite things? Um, or is there anybody that's upset or anything that's, if you're noticing any type of changes in that child's behavior, like, hey, I noticed you seem sad today. I just want you to know I noticed and I care. And if there's, if you want to talk to me about it, go right ahead. I'm here for you. Um, or if you notice uh, changes in their hygiene or just in their home environment from your conversations with them, like, hey, I noticed that earlier you said that so-and-so got in the fight. Is, that, is everything okay? So just really being intentional and paying attention Um to some of the smaller things that a child might tell you to indicate that they're stressed in the home or stressed with themselves. Because typically kids won't tell you like, hey, I'm having a really bad day today because I'm having trouble processing uh, being at home and my mom is frustrated. They really don't have the capacity to tell you those things, but they might show you that in the way that they behave. So they might not be very talkative or they might um, seem really angry or whatever that might be. So if we just are really intentional about paying attention to some of those um, behavioral signs that they might be showing you and then asking questions about that in a non-leading way. That really opens up the door for a child to talk to us. And, and beyond that, it lets a child know that, hey, there are people in my life that care about me and are safe adults. And we can use that little window of Zoom or FaceTime to recognize signs of physical abuse or neglect. Um, what are some sure. things we should be looking for? Well, certainly, if we are around kids, so if we're talking to, um, to, to aunts and uncles and grandparents, uh, they have probably been around these children and kind of know some of the uh, more normal injuries kids might have. So if they're running around in the backyard or they have slides and they're playing, uh, you'll typically see injuries like on their elbows and their knees and their toes and things like that. Um, that are normal part of childhood play. So if you're noticing any type of injuries that are outside of that, so if they have facial injuries that are concerning, like if they have bruising on their lips or on their eyes, bruising on their ears, um, if you can see their body on Zoom call, um, if you're noticing any type of injuries that are just outside of that childhood play, then we need to make sure that we're asking questions about that. Like, hey, I noticed you have um, a bruise on your lip. Tell me what happened. Um, and if you're noticing injuries like that, we need to make sure that we're making a report uh, to ensure those kids are safe and protected. Uh, and then also, if you are noticing situations to where uh, maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're doing um, counseling in a virtual format, and if you're noticing that there's a caregiver that's um, preventing a child from talking to you when it's really an important conversation to have, like maybe in a professional capacity, um, or if you can just tell that they're controlling what that child is um, doing, um, then that's an area for concern in some cases. Uh, and I just want to make sure I distinguish, we're not talking about protective caregivers, I just want to make sure that that interaction is safe. Uh, but if you just know what is in control and behavior, like maybe you're a counselor or a CASA worker, um, and those caregivers are not allowing you to have access to the child when you really need to assess their safety, um, then when you, that, that, that's a concerning concern and phenomenon. So we need to make sure that we're taking action. And how you kind of mentioned this a little bit before, like check-ins is one way of supporting families. What might be some other ways that we can support a family that, that might be feeling a little stressed during this time? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I think the first 
of all, the important thing to realize is we're all experiencing some sort of trauma, some sort of stress, whatever, children or adults during this time. It's just a, a pandemic is a stressful time in our nation. Um, so particularly with caregivers that have children or even younger children, um, for sure, we need to make sure that we're offering support to them. Even if they feel like they have everything under control, it's just a stressful time for families. And when we know that um, there are stressful, isolating situations, uh, that's a risk factor for abuse to occur. Um, so again, taking little steps like bringing a meal, uh, being intentional about like maybe creating a care package with some puzzles and some games that, hey, I know we're social distancing, but I'll drop this off at your door. Um, and again, just being really intentional, going beyond just asking, hey, is everything okay? Um, and just really being like, hey, I'm going to the store and I would like to um, bring you a meal. Tell me what you want. And then just being intentional and actually doing that um, can be a huge help, just an outside resource uh, for families that maybe you don't know how much they're struggling, um, but just offering that resource can really help. Um, and then being an open ear for um for caregivers that might be experiencing some, some stress. And so maybe once a week having a chat, a Zoom call or a phone call uh, just to complain about the stresses they're facing uh, can be really helpful to just help parents self-care for themselves and help them de-stress in those situations. And we want to remind everyone that it is the law in Texas to report abuse if you even suspect it. But tell us what we do if we still feel uncomfortable doing so. Well, it is, you're right. It is the law for us to report. Um, and it can be, I, I think, daunting and scary to say, I don't feel comfortable with the safety of this child and I want to make sure that I take action. So what I like to remind people is whenever you make a report of child abuse, you're not necessarily saying that, hey, this um, this is a bad family and this child is being abused and I need them to go to foster care. I think we see that on television shows, but that's not really the reality. What you do when you make a report um, is you're simply just asking a professional to come in and assess the situation to make sure that that child is safe. Um, and again, that is a stressful process for families to go through, but that is so much better than us just not taking any type of action and then potentially that child being continuously harmed and um, being in an unsafe environment when there are trusted adults that could have taken action to make sure that, that child was safe and protected. And we can ask um, if we, we can also just ask for a wellness check Right. Is that right? We can do that for, with the police department? Yes. I think in certain situations you can. So, for example, we've had situations to where um, teachers have been doing wellness checks when they're able. And for those um, families where they were concerned for the safety of a child, but there really wasn't any kind of valid reason that CPS would come and investigate, you can certainly um, call for a wellness check just for somebody to come and visit, uh, lay eyes on that child and say, hey, we didn't see any marks or bruises and the home environment seemed to be appropriate. Um, just on a basic level, they can do that. Uh, and that could be a way to extend that, um, again, outside of resource and support. And I think a lot of your advice can apply as well for domestic violence, um, people that might be a victim of domestic violence. So now tell us, how do we report the abuse? Um, you can report child abuse by calling a 1-800 number. So, again, it sounds like a daunting task, but the process of that, just the logistics of that are very simple. Uh, so there's a 1-800 number that you can call. It's one 800 252-5400. And you just call that number. You might be prepared to wait um, on hold for a while, but eventually somebody will answer the phone and they'll just ask you questions. 
Uh, so what are the concerns you have for the child? What injuries did you observe? Um, what did that child tell you? They'll really, it's a very simple process. They'll just lead you through. Um, they will also ask you demographic information, like if you know the child's full name and date of birth and their address and phone number. Um, if you have access to that information, that's very helpful. Um, but if there's any answers you don't know, that's completely okay. Um, your responsibility is just to report if you have, um, if a child tells you something, if you discover a situation, or even if you just suspect that abuse is taking place. Um, so if you're just at home at night and you're scared for the safety of a child, go ahead and call that 1-800 number. And again, that number is 1-800-252-5400. Thank you so much, Katia. I really appreciate yes. this. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. We've been speaking with Katia Gonzalez, Director of Community Engagement with Alliance for Children. You can find her webinar, How to Keep Children Safe During COVID-19, on YouTube. And once again, to report child abuse, you can call 1-800-252-5400. For About Mansfield, this is Stacy Main. We welcome all feedback about the program, whether it's a news feature that you heard or a specific news story or the program in general. Feel free to chime in by sending us an email to comments at aboutmansfield.com or by voicemail at 817-435-2938. Again, that's 817-435-2938. We will read or play back some of the comments in a future episode. Congratulations to Carmen McMillan, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Which county contains more City of Mansfield real estate, Ellis County or Johnson County? According to Google Maps, approximately 12.6 square miles of Mansfield lies within Johnson County. Ellis County claims only two square miles. Department of the Interior data states that Mansfield was wholly contained within Tarrant County until the 1980s when small portions of the city were annexed into Ellis and Johnson counties. Carmen has won a $25 gift card to 360 Brunch House. After the break, this week's trivia question of the week. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. Hi, this is John with Pool Aid your local pool care specialist. With the exceptional amount of rain that we've experienced so far this year, spring is a vital time to clean pool filters, skim leaves and debris, and keep skimmers clean to ensure proper circulation as well as keep your pool sweep in good working condition. If you have any questions or concerns or need a certified professional to help keep your pool safe and clean, visit us on the internet at poolaid.net. That's poolaid.net. We're here for you. Hey everyone, Nolan Ryan here. As we open Texas for business, we all need to work together in the fight against COVID-19. As Texans, we need to be responsible. We need to be smart. So when you leave the house, don't be a knucklehead. Wash your hands, socially distance yourself from others, and wear a mask. Do the right things. Look out for your fellow Texans, and together we'll make it through this. It is time right now for the wildly popular, highly coveted trivia question of the week. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com will receive a $25 gift card to 360 Brunch House, serving breakfast for the neighborhood. Located on Broad Street in the shadows of Newsom Stadium, you can find them on the internet at 360 Brunch House. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, this week's question is, 
How many students are enrolled in the Mansfield Independent School District? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, how many students are enrolled in the Mansfield Independent School District? Good luck, and thanks to Nick and Al at 360 Brunch House for the gift card. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, it is our usual array of news, talk, and information, including an in-studio interview with guitar luthier and Mansfield resident Chris Jenkins with Lame Horse Instruments. The show will be released on Wednesday, July 22nd. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast, if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on our website aboutmansfield.com we will never send you any spam we promise thanks for listening for Colleen Daniel and the entire news team I'm Steve Casillo and this is About Mansfield <laughs>